Hello from Cybrary, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. When the next zero-day vulnerability hits, how can your security team prepare to detect and respond to the latest threats? In what ways can your organization reduce risk in a dynamic threat landscape? Our Cybrary Threat Intelligence Group is here to jumpstart the conversation on grounding your security training and decision-making on actionable research. Here are CTIG experts Ryan English and Matt Mullins discuss the latest intel on the Felina vulnerability, the Zuorat report from Black Lotus Labs, and evolving tactics from initial access brokers like Profit Spider. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cybrary Podcast. I'm your host, Will Carlson, Senior Director of Content here at Cybrary, and we're joined today by a, a, a wonderfully familiar face, Matt Mullins, and a new face that I, I won't hazard to introduce. I'll let him introduce himself. Ryan, I'll turn it to you. Who are you? What do you do? What have you done? Why are you here? Uh, well, I'm... <laughs> Uh, my name is Ryan English. I am uh, the project manager for the new Cyberary Threat Intelligence Group. And what have I done? That's the question I ask myself pretty regularly. What have I done? Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> uh, I have been, uh, I see, I've been working uh, for a few different companies. I started off working for a company that did pen testing and evaluations and consulting about 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, I was actually working for David Maynard, who is, uh, my boss right now. He is the director of threat intelligence at Cyberary. And, uh, a few years back, I was working for another organization. I've worked for a few, but I started off doing, um, I started off in the military and, and working as a private contractor for many years before I got into cybersecurity and which, as it turns out is maybe hard to believe, but you know, doing security in the physical world is, 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 is very much identical to doing security in the digital world as, as it turns out. Didn't know that until it was too late. And, uh, and now, now here I am, what have I done? <laughs> no, it's great to have you on. And it's great to have CTIG represented on the podcast. We're, we're having a lot of fun internally having CTIG on deck. I know Matt can vouch for that as well. Oh, yeah. I'm from the content side here at Cyberary. So great to have you here on the team and great to have you here on the podcast as well. So I'm excited today to talk about, you know, something that's, you know, relatively timely um, and some of the things that we're seeing in Folina recently being uh, exploited in the wild. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the threat actor work we're doing here at Cybrary as it aligns to initial access brokers and profit spider in particular. But I'd love to start off kind of at the top here for the audience about, you know, what is Folina? Why is this vulnerability important? You know, I'll kind of pass it to you both to give some some perspective on what this thing is and, and why we should care. All right, you want to go for it first, sir, since you're the intelligence guy? <laughs> well, all right, I could do that. Um, <laughs> so I think it, I, I want to say it was Proofpoint that, that had the first uh, discovery on this one. Is that correct? I believe it was Proofpoint uh, or... If not proof point, then they they were the first ones to like publish anything. But publisher reporting. Um, yeah, what they had was um, they had detected a pretty intricate phishing campaign that was targeting uh, 
U.S. and U.K. government workers. Um, then they were exploiting uh, a CVE that um, a Microsoft CVE that uh, obviously, you know, they're 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 proceeding to download remote access tools and things like that. But what what made it curious was like anything that targets government entities or business entities in the defense sector and things like that. Uh, that automatically twigs everybody and makes everyone pay attention. And so the research began in earnest by a number of different notable groups from there going forward. Um, we published a blog two weeks ago on this, uh, roughly. And, uh, and, then, and then since then, Matt has, has come up with a, a, a training module for you know, detection, mitigation, things like that. Um, but whenever you see this sort of thing, you, you, you know two things are true. Number one, it's going to be a sophisticated actor because why else would you bother going after entities such as those? And number two, um, the techniques that are used are going to be used by less sophisticated actors in the future. Yep. And when that starts happening, uh, you know, yeah, you can say, oh, it's, such a, it's a derivative attack of this. It doesn't matter um, because when it becomes commonplace, then 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 everybody can be vulnerable to it. And that's why we're, you know, leaning on it as a teachable moment. Yeah. And a trainable moment. And one thing I'll throw in there too, is kind of like what you were saying, like it starts off as sophisticated and cascades down. I mean, you know, with the vulnerability itself, you know, in the module that, that we created, like Ryan was alluding to, there's a lot of good information about other similar vulnerabilities where, you know, docs and docms, and DocXs, et cetera, et cetera, have been classic phishing examples. And one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, this one doesn't rely on macros, which is a godsend because everyone knows in classic phishing training and everyone knows in general cybersecurity that, you know, macros are the bad and it's a classic use case for red teamers and adversaries. I know that Microsoft was talking about removing macro support and then they walked that back. So yeah, uh, they walked back. Yeah. Like yesterday or last night or today, they walked it back. I'm like, oh, Christmas comes early. Christmas in July, baby. So it's uh, it's been real nice to see that. Obviously, from the red teamer side, probably a yeah. lot of pushback in regards to you know, a lot of groups use it. Like think about like recruiting, think about like finance, things like that. Those teams are going to be using those macros to do complex calculations. I mean, I've worked at other places before where we had a degree of our incident response team utilize an Excel spreadsheet that did XML HTTP requests within a macro to get real-time pulls from things. So it's not, um, it's not as cut and dry, right? And so going back to the original point about it not including macros, I mean, there's been some other examples where we had, there was a PowerPoint vulnerability, there was a vulnerability with MSHTML, there was a vulnerability with embedded YouTube content, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think, um, you know, a lot of the work that Ryan and David are doing with, within CTIG, focusing on those aspects of, you know, document declarations, like within the XMLs that are inside your docx, because you can unzip them as you'll learn in the course. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there with, um, with that with URIs and URLs that are kind of defined in the Windows registry. And there's a lot of interesting juice, I think, that'll come from that squeeze uh, in the future. Because again, everyone knows, look out for macros. You know, people are starting to catch on to remote template injection and things like that. There's a, there are rules for that, right? Which is good. But um, gosh darn it, I mean, you know, you've got things that are Microsoft diagnostic tool. Like that's a, that should be a known friendly, right? And here it is embedded in your, your document. Someone opens it, huh, that's weird. It just crashed. I'll close it out, you know, and if it doesn't fire a rule, EDR doesn't fire a rule for some reason because they've obfuscated it or they've got a very sophisticated payload attached to it. 
or AV doesn't detect it, you're just flying in the unknown. I mean, there you go. There's your beachhead into the network and then bad news bears, as they would say. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting here. So to make sure I'm tracking and, and the audience as well is that, you know, so some of the reasons why does this matter? Well, it's, you know, part of a, you know, maybe a product you've heard of before in your professional life, a product called Microsoft Word. Yeah. <laughs> relatively, you know, maybe one would argue relatively ubiquitous. Wow. Um, and you know, Matt, to make sure I'm tracking here too, there's not uh, unlike a macro, right? So you download this macro, um, Tom in marketing needs to run the thing to crunch some numbers. He thinks, and it pops up and says, Oh, oops, wait, you know, there's a macro here. Are you sure you want to run this thing? Yeah. But this is different than that. And that you open the document and it silently runs in the background without any user intervention whatsoever. And it just appears like all you did was open a word doc. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very different animal. I mean, and, and this isn't the first, this won't be the last, I'm sure. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of good research going into, you know, the DocX space. Because again, like you said, Will, I mean, think about like a good attack scenario. I want to get into an organization. What are the kind of semi-permeable uh, contact areas, you know, the semi-permeable membranes for an organization or enterprise? Recruiters, right? Um, maybe you're reaching out to the users, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone knows recruiters have to interact with people, right? They get resumes all the time. And so, you know, on previous red team ops and stuff like that, we knew that they weren't going to enable macros, right? So what did we do? We submitted it with a macro and then, you know, did our first wave interviews and things like that and social engineered our way into being like, hey, I'm really worried about privacy. I'm just so many big companies steal your data. So it's encrypted and you have to enable the macros to decrypt it. And then sure as the day is long, you know, <laughs> our way and then, you know, a little bit of social engineering grease on it and the piston starts firing again. So it's like, we, we, we've been trained against that, but if this doesn't have a macro at all, like you said, Will, and, and the thing that's really nefarious about it is, is you can get it, it fires up and you can see it resolving things within Word. Like when you open Word, as you'll see in like the module and stuff like that, in the bottom, you'll see it being like reaching out to blah, 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 blah. I mean, okay. So maybe that is a degree of a learning, but like if you have a good domain, like again, it's not going to matter, right? So all these things are in place. Um, another great example, like the, the YouTube one, Simulate had a blog, blog post about a long time ago. And I think it's been silently patched since then. But one of the tricks with that one was you've declared this YouTube link, right? Or this media link within the document. Exactly the same scenario, right? As Felina. They click the link. It's got a hover over image of whatever the, the preview would be for the YouTube link. So it looks like a YouTube link. You hover over it. It's a YouTube link. Okay. I've done my due diligence as a user. My phishing awareness training has told me, hover your links, investigate before you click, do the needful, right? And, and they do that and then they click and then it fires the payload, redirects them to the YouTube video and they never see any of it. So these types of things are just, I mean, it rains shells because especially if there's no detections in place, it's a huge win for, for the red teamers and you know through, through the transitive property, huge win for the, uh, the bad guys and gals. Yeah, and there's only so much you can do if you disable some of the functionality that you expect to have in in what you've got, you know, within Office um, to to avoid some of these things. Then you have to be prepared that when when something doesn't work well, you you then have a whole other set of problems in in trying to figure out why and how it's fixed. Yep. Um, you don't get that the benefit of all that uh, that 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 automatic support that would come with not having disabled things like MSDS and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So you must trade. 
you, yeah. you, you know, one of your things is you must trade. Um, yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go next, Ryan, in that, um, you know, this isn't necessarily a, a, a flaw in the, it's not that the code wasn't secure. This is, this is a feature as design. I mean, this is true hacking by definition, right? So this is right. use a feature that was designed to do one thing to accomplish something completely different, um, yeah. which makes it a whole like lot that. harder to mitigate, right? So it's not like Microsoft can go in and just say, oh, well, we're going to turn off this feature that we developed to help people with these X number of things, not knowing how many things that that's been integrated into workflow wise in addition to, yeah, it makes it much harder just to patch. And then Ryan, to right. your point, it makes it harder to mitigate as well because I, you know, having been in that seat before, it's the last thing I want to do is to have a sea level of anything coming knocking on my door as a cybersecurity professional and wanting to know why all of a sudden they can't get the help that they need or open this thing that they wanted to open. Yep. It's a really hard sell at that point. So they're leveraging a baked in functionality in Microsoft Word that was designed for a purpose and they're just manipulating it to do things that you probably don't want it to do. Yeah. 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 It, it, Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. In very typical fashion, you know, this is what people who who want to exploit, that's what they do. And that's what they're great at. And, you know, it's like that uh, Wendy Nather had that, uh, why are we here? Uh, you, one of her talks was like, why are we here? And she it goes always ends up going back to, hey, this place was built by people who were like engineers and wanted it all to work together and be beneficial oh. for you. And there's all these built in helpful things that are going to, Hey, when you don't see it working in it, but it helps you. And that, they didn't, those guys in that room, those ladies in that room didn't sit there and think, well, what if some sneaky SOB was right around the corner waiting to utilize what I built for the good? Yep. This is everywhere, right? All these things are always everywhere, but you know, like you said, well, you, you, you start to, you know, tourniquet off some of these functions in, for, in the name of the greater good. And then you have some explaining to do. Yep. Um, and man hours that go into, well, we didn't get the functionality, but we have to do this now manually. So one way or the other, you have a cost in time, whether it's in a remediation scenario or uh, an IR scenario, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a cost in time that you, that is also baked in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder yeah. here too, you know, Matt, this is leading into the, the course content a little bit and out of mm -hmm. your comfort zone as uh, living firmly on the red team, but what, how do you, so walk me through this, right? I'm in an organization. We know this thing could happen. We're particularly concerned about it. We're not able to go in and just blanketly shut off these features within word for in number of reasons. Now what do I well, just, not just word? Well, either think about this too. It's throughout office and, uh, wasn't just word. What's that? RTFs. Yeah. You, I was on the yeah. same page with you, man. Like, I was yeah. going to see that like preview panes, it can fire yeah. windows 11. It's bananas. <laughs> yeah. It's throughout so the, the impact suite. Here is huge. So what do, do I just accept the risk and move along and cross my fingers and hope, you know, I do all my, how do you detect it? What, what are the other steps that I can do to secure my organization? So if we can't prevent it, yeah. we can't really mitigate it, then how do I detect it? And this is an interesting one too, right? Because it's just, it gives me the ability to perform remote code execution. So then it's, I, I'm, I'm leading the witness here a little bit, right? So 
devil's in the details of, well, what remote code are they executing? And what does yeah. that look like? So this isn't a simple of, well, we're going to detect that this thing fired and it did a thing because you, yeah. Yeah. that doesn't trigger anything. It's the thing that it does that you have to look for, which could be thousands of different things. So give us a little bit of hope here, Matt, Ryan, help me out. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about it from like that base level, we talk about a little bit in the course, like, you know, they have a patch for the docx side, but like Ryan was saying, there's still vulnerabilities with rich text format. Um, and the, the, the method that we use in the lab is essentially clipping that part off of the registry. So within the registry, we kind of, in the course, we talk about where it's located, why it does what it does. Right. And so this is something that's kind of ubiquitous with like web technology in general, right? So we can have a script tag and we can call a number of things. A good example of this is there was a cross-site scripting attack with Steam, right? The, the game engine uh, platform. And essentially they were able to call out, you know, Steam and get it to fire and open up and do things using cross-site scripting because of that script declaration. So it's something that, you know, uh, we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier. It's in there, it's in the registry. So, you know, first off the top of my head is you can remove that part of the registry so that Microsoft diagnostic tool doesn't fire from that URI or URL. But I mean, then again, you have to ask yourself enterprise wide, like Ryan was saying, like, does that make sense for the org? Because your org might depend on using a custom, you know, web page that's served internally to push updates and do things. So that might not be the best option. I mean, when I think about it from the red team side, the stuff that I'm always worried about is what do I look like? And what does the user look like? You know, what they would say is like swim in the sea of, of the citizens when you want to be a, you know, bad guy um, or a guerrilla fighter or something like that. I mean, that's something that you know, on the red team side, we want our traffic to be shaped with like a malleable C2 profile to look like what a regular traffic for a user would look like, right? So if they're always browsing Facebook, I want to look like Facebook. And that might come from OSINT and recon on the users and what they do. You know, there might be some Sockman involved where you're on their social media platforms and being like, hey, Will, I enjoy a good listen to Pandora. How about you, sir? And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're going to target Will. We're going to go ahead and use Pandora Radio as our C2 profile. So with that being said, when we're spawning MSDT, when it doesn't ever do that ever in your environment, that's an anomaly. That's a delta. That might be something that's a good detection rule. You might write a Tanium signal, or you might have something that fires within um, Microsoft's advanced persistent threat tooling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, it's bleak, but you know, preview, plane, preview pane or Explorer firing MSDT might be a little bit harder to, to detect. But again, if it's something that you don't use and it's not you know, ubiquitous to your environment, I would say that that's going to probably get me caught. Right. So I don't want to get caught. I want to be as sneaky and slimy as possible and, and, you know, get deep hooks into the network so that if we get kicked out, we can do other things. And MSDT spawning from windward is, that's a little sus, as they would say. <laughs> sus. Yeah. You want to be able to say, I've been thrown out of nicer clubs than this. And yeah. Come back in through the service entrance. But, you know, you got to remember that like right now, the detection was, uh, well, the, when, when, you know, Proofpoint record, uh, reported it all. It was, hey, we're seeing this against government entities, right? So, you know, Matt, when you talk about the the amount of recon, the OSINT that's being done beforehand, you should probably assume that going against those kinds of targets involves a pretty significant amount of of planning. You know, you're going to do your recce. You're going to make sure that, you, you know, you have a few angles before you proceed. Mm-hmm. So, okay, those guys, and, and being as how, you know, how are the, I'm wondering to myself, so how are these guys mitigating? 
what are they doing to defend? So if if you're at a government entity, I mean, it is there is some likelihood that somebody just goes, that's it. Cut MSDT completely off. We don't ever want to see that again. And if you got a problem with something, you come over to Bob's office and he'll fix it. And that dude is just going to do he's more hair turns gray on his head, you know, and he just the stress level, the cortisol level. But when it when it's a more common exploit next year, when it's being used by moderately skilled adversaries against a wider array of targets, then, yeah, by then next year. And I hate to say this is like, well, we'll have a fix for you soon. You know, this will evolve and so will the fixes. But right now, you you know, like Matt says, you you have a bitter pill to swallow in in turning off functionality yeah. and some and and some of the avenues it can escape and and yeah you know because what was it that malware bytes one of the one of the remediations was already invalidated and malware bytes had that article just at the end of last week what was that I can't remember you'll have to fill me in but one of the things that were being thrown around as a as a you know, as a life preserver was actually already beaten up on in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to lean on that a little bit too here, Ryan. Yeah. Like, you know, I think. I wish I did. I forgot. I forgot. It slips my mind right now. I'm sorry. I know Log4j is still fresh in, in, in many oh, of man. our memories. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not a, a something we want to relive, but I, I think some of the struggle there is likely some of the struggle ongoing now. It's like, where are all the places that this shows up? <sighs> You know, I mean, we think we have a pretty good handle on it, even to the top of the, the the discussion. Like, okay, word, okay, great, but yeah, where else does that show up? Like, just an RTF document. I mean, how many places can that show up? How many tools does my organization have that can interact with, open, save an RTF document? How many of those are baked in by default to the operating system? Yeah. How many IDEs that my developers use can ultimately interact with and generate that kind of a yep. file? Um, yep. And there may be others, other places that this ultimately could show up. So you start trying to put your fingers in the hole in the dam and you think you've got them all and then you got a major leak over there that you didn't anticipate yet and that mitigating causes even more problems. So I, I do, I think these are particularly tough. I'm, I'm keenly aware, Matt, of your point about you know baselines here being really, really important so that you know what normal looks like in your organization. Right. Yeah. And I wonder too, a little bit, I'm curious both of your takes on this being an interesting area where, I mean, obviously a hunt team could go on the look for this, or also even a proactive um, analyst team could start putting some rules in place to detect the things that they think might be just from an alerting perspective to see the amount of alerts rolling in, right? So I think we have to, it is a cat and mouse game and you got to respond and you may know that putting some of these rules in the SIM tool, for example, may cause you to get a little bit of alert fatigue. Yeah. But if it's not behavior you've ever looked for, where all am I launching MSDT from? How can I get that as a data source? How do I watch for that? Yep. You probably should go looking and asking yourself that question and trying to set up some rules or alerts or things across your org to get some intel and to build yeah. that baseline if you don't know what that baseline is. So, you know, it's not, you know, it would be nice if you already had that baseline. Probably not good if you don't at least go trying to get it now. That's no excuse, right? Well, we didn't know what it was, so we're just going to leave it be. Yeah, that's like the, uh, the the threat intelligence reverse power curve. Like you start off here in this place of like ignorance is bliss, and then you start to feed in all these things that are threat intel related, and your your satisfaction in life starts to go down because now you've got more work and all these things are coming at you. 
you bottom out somewhere, you know, in in the pit of despair of like, oh God, will we ever dig ourselves out of this? But then you start to come out and say, okay, well, a lot of false positives, sure, uh, but you know, somehow out of this, I'm also I'm 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 aware of what's going on. I can. I could issue the alert to people who need to know I'm actually doing my job. I'm getting some traction somewhere here and there, you know, and, 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 and I, and I get a better feeling, more confidence. I know what I'm doing. So now you start to find more things and you can cut them off when it's possible. And and you could be doing the mitigation in real time versus what would you rather just not know, you know, you know, just, you know, cause you know, Bobby and accounting doesn't want to be inconvenienced. I don't, (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid we have to but that's the thing about like you said when you have more intel more insight then you actually have a few yeah. weeks of like that insight's not fun maybe it, and the, <laughs> the thing too i was thinking about as we were talking about it is like sure you know you can have detections for msdt right you can have a detection for that if that's spawning from windward that's probably probably not a good thing right if that's not normal traffic but another thing to think about too is is you think about a, a tiered analyst in the SOC, right? So you got your first tier. They get those alerts. They look at them and they say, hey, this is weird. Let me pass it up the chain to Ryan, who's the, the senior, you know. And Ryan looks at it and goes, okay, MSDT, that's not normal in our environment, but it could be Bob and accounting doing something wild because he thinks he's fixing something, you know. And then Ryan looks at it and says, huh, we got some PowerShell events firing. Right. Let's pop a flare. Yeah. And yeah. then we'll go and investigate. Hunt team. Look for these, look for these deltas in the environment. Windward spawning MSDT. And then immediately after that, like within a couple of seconds, we've got a PowerShell process opening. That PowerShell process is all reaching out to this same URL. Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and open a C cert. Let's do our thing. Let's go to yeah. Whiteboard. You know, like that's kind that's of right. you know, like I would imagine that would be kind of the standard because like, Will, what you're saying about hunt teams, like what do they look for? I mean, anything is better than nothing as long as it's, you know, something that, you know, you can pivot off of because your first step is probably going to be a little bit of a stumble. A great example of this is like iced ID or something like that. Right. That's coming out. You've got these ISOs being used for phishing now. Like everyone's like, okay, now we got to look for ISOs and it bypasses mark of the web and you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So now we know what to look for. What's our first level, you know, detection. Okay. Well, we might just have like a simple like string match because we know to Ryan's point, now that the big bads have used it, all the script kitties that are trying to make, you know, you know, please do the thing or else we'll, you know, make your network 15 Bitcoins by Thursday. And then here's an image of like, you know, the Joker or something like that, whatever they're yeah. using ransomware. That's going to probably be your, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bandaid on a bullet wound, but at least there's something that's stopping the open flow of blood at that point. And then you refine and, 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 you know, iterate. So I find this detection from SDT. I pass it up to Ryan. Ryan makes his observation oh, wow, PowerShell spawning like literally every time for like the five of these, a half a second later, it's reaching out this URL. Now we know we can go off of, but we also know that we can modify that ruling to say MSDT. And then a second aspect of this alert is, is there a child process that's being spawned that's PowerShell? Does the PowerShell process then try to open, you know, like event viewer or something like that to try to do a UAC bypass? Okay. Yeah, we know what's going on here. That's, that's, that's the benefit of communicating. Like you, yeah. you communicate throughout the organization, sure, but you also want to be communicating to your your SOC guys. And yeah. hey, man, you're going to see more false positives, but I want to know specifically these four things, especially when you start talking about child process and stuff like that. 
related to two other different activities that you already know. Mm-hmm. The SOC 1 guy has been told, hey, look, you know, good morning. Welcome to your shift at work. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you know, these are, this is your hot sheet. And, and, you know, and like, you know, you you might not be able to investigate it here, you know, prosecute it and send it upwards. Just send that upwards. Yeah. And those, and so there you're on the road to success or at least not catastrophe. It's really interesting here too. And that, you know, I think sometimes the way these vulnerabilities are presented in the industry, they can seem a little divorce of context. It's like, here's this new bad thing that you've got to go try to detect. And that kind of is where the discussion stops. But I think it's really important for us to frame that in as just a tool an adversary or a threat group may use compromising this vulnerability isn't the objective on goal, right? So Matt, to your point, as you're talking about how that would get passed up the chain and it gets passed up the chain with the context of, okay, if a threat actor used this, what are they going to do next? So the detection may not be the initial exploit of this particular vulnerability, but it may be what comes next. So I think that that threat actor view of all of this is really important, right? And Ryan, that's where, you know, the I think the threat intel side of this dovetails in as well. It's not just, hey, here's this vulnerability, go worry about it, but it's all of that context is important. So right where this was first seen, targeting government institutions, they're probably not going to go in and ransomware the environment. Probably not no, their they, initial yeah. approach. Right. They're probably going to want to go in and be as quiet as possible. Yep. Deep hook. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. And just Deep sit hook, and hold wait. on and steal, you yep. know? Yep. And now when we see that though, I think begin coming into from, you know, maybe more junior threat groups into the industry at large, it's the same tool, but the usage of the tool is likely to change, right? Yeah. Matt, to your point, like they may absolutely want to use this to ultimately fire off the C2 to connect back into objective on goal being deploy ransomware. Mm-hmm. It's the same right. initial vector used in a completely different way, and it shows up very different. So you still have to have that threat-informed approach for your organization to know what they're going to want and how it's likely to show up. Because, you know, I, candidly, I don't think every organization really needs to be concerned about cyber espionage as their top concern from a threat group. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're building landing gear for the F-35 as a subcontractor for Lockheed, then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Then, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is a good thing that you bring up. Right now, it's targeting these, you know, high visibility organizations. It, that's good because then it, it gives other organizations who don't see themselves in the line of fire yep. enough time to start thinking and planning. And then just, just like you said, Will, it's all right. Once you have an indicator, a threat indicator, you're going to try to run ahead two steps to go, okay, well, what's he going to do if he's in? What's he going to do next? Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna laterally move. How do I look? What are my, you know, what do I what am I checking for lateral movement? So you could be saying, okay, I've got all these indicators. You could run around trying to stop some of that, but you could also, you know, devote part of your time to all right. I mean, this guy's got to be moving laterally right now, right now. So how do I go track that? Where's my logs? All right, how do I look in my logs for? You know, what was he making these particular, th- how would I move laterally in my network? And then now you're off to the races, which is a foot race now to, you know, to, to try to stem this one step ahead of this person. If you can, that's at least being proactive. That's, you know, a thousand times better than just sitting there in the corner. Yeah, and hoping <laughs> it's already inside the house. <laughs> it's 
coming from inside the house. Yeah. So I, I think again, the, my, my, the interesting point there to me is it's not just a matter that this vulnerability exists and how do I detect that particular thing, but it's going to be part of a larger whole. And it's like, how do I thread all of that together? So, you know, we're at a point now where if, if you've got people scanning your external IP, like most everybody's devices are just throwing that traffic away. We just don't yeah. care because it's happening all the time. Right. That's not a useful signal. There are other signals beyond that that are useful. So it may be, you know, do everything that you can to mitigate and patch this vulnerability, sure, but don't don't feel like it stops there. There are other things. If you right. and your organization feel like this is particularly of a concern, what comes next? And begin looking for those things because that may be where your ability to detect is the clearest. Yeah. It's later on down in the chain. So it's, you know, again, it's back to that a little bit tried and true now. It's like the perimeter defenses are not sufficient currently. The, no, but that's the, that, that, keep them all out. Like this is a great proof point in that. Like, how are you going to keep your recruiter from opening a resume and word? Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit dicey. I mean, and it's, I mean, that along with, there was a conversation, I think in like um, one of the MITRE uh, attack forums that I was in, or maybe a Slack channel, they're talking about assets, Right. And knowing your assets, because someone was talking about, you know, implementing uh, attack with some CVE, like updates and things like that. And someone responded uh, in a way that I personally didn't agree with. They were like, oh, if you just know everything in your environment, then you're good. And I was like, obviously, you've never worked for a big org <laughs> because it's very difficult to know everything on your perimeter. I mean, look at cloud. I mean, devs will spin up things all the time, not report it. It doesn't it's not the gold image. It doesn't have the hardening. And then it's like, oh, well, this was just uh, using company assets, but it was just a test server. No one knows. And then all of a sudden you find out, to your point, scan traffic's going through, someone scanned and panned, and oh, it was vulnerable to Log4j, and now we have someone who has somehow pivoted into our environment because we have this blended cloud environment, and they have access to you know our, our root somehow or something like that. And you're like... That makes me think of the recent news breaking of the largest single breach in global history that uh, China has recently experienced, right? It was a a platform meant to allow people in to see that data, but it was, oops, made publicly available. And it was there for anybody, data visualization-wise, to just run queries against that data and just export it. I mean, literally not, no password, no No password, trivial to get in and get billions, oh, yeah. millions and millions of records. That is not rare either too, to your point, Will. Like I've, a lot of, of the operations that I've been on for like red team stuff where we're like, okay, we got to go out to in. And so everyone always wants part of that to be, we're really worried about cloud. We're really worried about our perimeter. Perimeter shows up green. Nessa scans all look good. But, you know, I'm just, I'm worried. And then we get on there and we find some crazy appliance with like no protection and like a dodgy self-signed SSL cert. And then you start scanning IP blocks. You start enumerating things, do some subdomain brooding and things like that. And you find some pretty gnarly stuff. And on top of that, there's something that you said earlier about the, the scanning the perimeter. A lot of organizations, they think, hey, how can we get more secure for less? I know what we'll do. We'll sign up for a bug bounty program. So they sign up for HackerOne or something like that. And they're great programs, right? But what does that introduce? Tons of noise in the perimeter. So from the red team side, I'm like, oh, this is a godsend. Now I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. I don't have to worry about anything. I can literally just pop open a Coke, run all the things and worry the stealth is out the window because everyone's doing it. And 
a lot of the stuff that they get, which is another uh, aspect of it that is a, a double-edged sword, is you get a lot of really weird reports that are submitted. Like, hey, I just want you to know, if you're an authorized user, you can access account details. And I'm wonderful. Where's the vulnerability? Well, you shouldn't be able to access them through the API, but you're auth, right? Yeah. And did you oh, use sure. authorization to access the API? Yeah, but it shouldn't be totally. able to. Why? So you get a lot of those reports or HSTS is missing on this one page or you can click Jack, you know, a random PDF that like doesn't, it doesn't really matter in the risk scheme of things. So you have all this noise in the perimeter and then you've got groups that, what, they, what do they do? They look for these vulnerabilities on the perimeter so they can get in, they can get access. So it's out there. Really interesting. I, I want to pivot a little bit here, talking about threat actors in, in, in general um, and, and how important it is to understand you know, what they're after, who might be targeting you, and what their possible objectives on goal could be so that you have that prioritized approach to security at your organization. You know, pivoting a little bit here to talk about you know, something else that we've been working on, Matt, you know, you're, you're neck deep in it right now, um, is the concept of uh, initial access brokers or IABs and what that looks like. So I wonder, Matt, for the audience, if you can Explain a little bit, and Ryan, jump in too, please. Of you know, what is an IAB? What do they do, and and what makes Profit Spider an interesting illustration of of an IAB? Let me go for it, Ryan. I'm blab last. <laughs> sure, if you like. Um, what makes Profit Spider interesting? Um, well, let's see. The first known reporting of Profit Spider as an organization is back in, in 2017, May of 2017. Um, so you're thinking, okay, well, they're only five years old and, and, and they're not, it's not like they've done dozens, uh, you know, they're responsible for dozens of, of, you know, ransomware events, but, uh, they are responsible for a couple of really good ones. And, and, and they're, you know, they gained access using Log4j and Citrix exploits most recently. I think that was earlier this year. But what makes them interesting is a, and and I guess let's, I'll talk a little bit about what we think, but we don't know for sure because it's contextual. But it, it seems that they were a group comprised of some experienced people that came and did maybe like their side project in a little collabo or whatever, called it Profit Spider, right? And And there's some indication possibly that those guys moved on, but they left you know, their, their replacements, plenty of good TTPs to work with. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be pretty good at, at living off the land. Um, once they get in and, and the types of commands that they have been seen using to move around a network, to grab what they want for credentials, uh, you know, to compress encode and then, and then, exfil those credentials is all pretty good state-of-the-art living off the land technique and you know if if you want a really good breakdown of how they've done their last uh really good access was uh, the crowdstrike article about them it somebody really did a good job of going in depth and saying they use this command for this that command for that and and it's a tutorial really it, it's Really, not, and if you're a defender, you want to be reading that because that's the breadcrumbs right there. And you know, Profit Spider may not be the most high end, and they've given over their um, their access to a couple of groups that are thought to be Eastern European in origin. Uh, Mount Locker and Egregor, I believe, were the two that they most recently had been working with. 
so we can't speak to the origin of of uh, profit spider not not really confidently but then attribution's hard anyway but like they, they seem to at least have the skill set uh and and if they've got some b team that's now claiming the mantle then that's dangerous too yeah you know they, they spawned a child process <laughs> you know and they're <laughs> and they're and they're successful right now so um but you know matt probably has a lot more to say about how they seem to be using commercial off-the-shelf exploits <laughs> to to get their initial access they're the they're the cots access team yeah yeah i mean i'll just kind of dovetail off it like like what you were saying ryan like you know if log4j is out there and ubiquitous and how much of a nightmare that was and you're talking about the gray hair and the cortisol level i mean maybe that's from log4j and having to work those incidents it's everywhere it's in all the things it's in the air we breathe <laughs> um so yeah like i mean it's you've got like, these things in the perimeter and like they're vulnerable and, you know, they're scanning a pan and identifying those things. You get in using something very simple and straightforward that might not be fully patched or maybe there might have been some sort of uh, a good case in point is, right, they might not fully understand how do you validate that the exfiltration is working correctly, like LDAP, right, as part of Log4j. Okay, we ran a scanner, says we're good. We don't really understand maybe like what the scanner did it just said good things when in reality it might be that there's other methods that you could invoke through that based off of you know the definition of what you're using for tomcat or whatnot so those things being out there citrix other vulnerabilities dropping like like ryan was saying the b team being handed the mantle all they have to do is just wait for something you know and then hey um this vulnerability just came out you know blah 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 let's go ahead and like orienteer towards it and see what we can find out there in the world let's do you know i don't know what they use maybe for their 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 larger uh process of combing through the world wide web but you know shodan census something like that identify those assets start poking in a way that's a very customized python script or something like that anybody that's pen tested red team has probably wrote something that does the most rudimentary of, of checks and Boom. Now you know, hey, we've got a list of targets we want to hit, script out what we want to do, up, 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 get in. Like Ryan was saying, we've got lull bins that we use. We're going to live off the land with these binaries. They have Microsoft Diagnostic Tool being a great example, right? Functionality that allows you to do things that is very juicy to an attacker, but is something that's signed by Microsoft, looks safe. I mean, I know for Linux, there's the GNU bins, which is like GTFO bins or something like that. And now they're even having some references to like web uh, content providers or content delivery networks that are being defined in like a list of things that can be used. So they've got a Rolodex and all they have to do to Ryan's point is, hey, these things have worked for us. We're interested in initial access and making a profit. So we get in, we get what we want. We go ahead and uh, do our thing. We run our TTPs and then we sell the access or sell the creds. and we might not get, you know, get into the NSA's network or something like that, but all those medium-sized businesses that have five cybersecurity professionals for a global organization or up and down the East Coast or West Coast or something like that, those are prime pickings. Those are prime yeah, pickings. I, mean, I don't think it's any small it's, mystery why standards like CMMC exist, Matt, right? So you're talking about this small organization that an initial access broker or an IAB like Profit Spider may be able to get into, but you just never know until you get in there who they might be connected to and who they might yeah. be doing business right. with. And then we, you know, Ryan, through some of the research uh, and the partnership with that CTIG has had recently with Black Lotus talking about Zulrat, mm -hmm. um, 
you pivot all of that into work from home and Soho mm-hmm. devices. And now all of a sudden initial access into some of these environments that before may not have been as useful, but your entire C-suite at big organizations are now working from home and expecting to do so in perpetuity. Things start getting a lot more interesting, I think, for these initial access brokers. So these, yeah. they all of a sudden, if they've kept a good Rolodex of places that they're living quietly, Mm-hmm. they become a lot more interesting because people that are interested in the post-exploit may start wanting to pick up some of these types of environments that may not have been interesting to them before. So having an initial access broker like Profit Spider, who's getting in, quietly living off of the land and waiting to for the right opportunity to pass it off to somebody else that's more specialized, yeah. Yeah. I think we're gonna we're not going to see their business start drying up anytime soon with the move to work from home and with, you know, some major events like no. Duorat, and I'm certain we will yeah. find others. I mean, again, we talked about it before, but the attack surface and the permeability of it has just gotten so much bigger with yeah. some of the recent changes to the to the infrastructure landscape that we live in. No, that's a good point. They they these so IABs, if I was gonna be a bad guy, I would I would be an IAB. I would be an initial access broker because you can take your time, you can be patient. You don't have to worry about the end result, the execution, the getting the money, the, you know, you have to deal with, you know, financial institutions, international law enforcement. Hey, you just, you know, and and here's the thing about Falina, those guys probably did a good amount of, of, of recce before they went in. They did a good amount of OSINT before they made their moves. An IAB who's patient is going to do that. and, And that's his craft, right? So that's, that's and that's why not necessarily private spider but somebody like them is dangerous because yeah they're using kind of off the shelf exploits but that's where you don't need to spend a lot of time if you're spending your time setting the table and doing all the recon and the enumerate, enumeration beforehand but when you start talking about zoorat zoorat is you know, you, you mentioned it and it's true. The, the, you know, the, the big thing a few years ago was like, Oh, protect the edge of your network. And this is how we'll protect your edge. The edge is like the last guy on the food chains cell phone. Yeah. That was the edge a year ago. Like, Oh God, it all goes to all this way down to this edge of this guy could bring his cell phone. Well, now it's like that guy's cell phone in his house because his, you know, his, gateway is vulnerable because Zurat is, is so the thing that we, you know, Black Lotus did was really show you that um, even though this was an exploit that was made up of a couple of different CVEs that really only had a proof of concept attached to them, they, they really turned that into, they baked that into what really is an O-Day. And, and that's dangerous because um, you know, right now what we're seeing is that once again, this is being used against, you know, government entities and, uh, uh um, uh, business, I want to say businesses, uh, industry, like defense industry sector, right? So, okay, cool. High value, high line stuff trickles down because once people like profit spider realize that, oh man, this could work if we could figure out how to harness it against anything. Surface area is n plus one plus one plus one plus one it just never ends and it stinks man it really does and and 
the real question is with Zurat and, and you know Matt and I toss this around quite a bit, and I know you did well, is is who really wakes up in the morning and decides, oh, you know, I haven't patched my 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 home router. Oh yeah, when's the last time I patched my home router? And yeah. until Black Lotus shared this with us, the answer to that question right here was the day I opened that box yeah. and set that thing up was the last day that I've actually put its address in my browser and gone to its interface to do anything. And the day after I read Zuret, I was like, oh God, where's that piece of paper where I wrote the password? <laughs> well, we don't have to worry about that anyway, Ryan. Our ISPs are keeping all those things up to date. There, oh, listen, you know, I, I talked to mine and they were very, very insistent that they're taking care of me and all that money that I pay them, that that's what they're there for. And then I have, I have gone to sleep and slept soundly ever since. <laughs> And awesome. I don't mean to disparage any ISPs in the audience. I'm being yeah. a little cheeky. And but you know what, though? So, so the C2s are, you know, do you think China Telecom is is taking care of this on their end? Because that's where the C2s are pointing is is places like Tencent. So, you know, basically they're running all this stuff out of, you know, that their home networks. And they're not, no one's helping. you got to do your own. And, and that's yet another thing that, hey, if, you know, the luxury of working at home comes with that price tag of about 20 minutes worth of work every certain amount of time that you updated and patched. I have talked to some guys in the industry since then when we you know, we were given this a few days early to be able to make some sense out of it. And I've talked to some guys in the industry since then. And, and, and the question I keep asking is, hey, when's the last time you patched up your Soho router? And then you know, about half of the guys who are industry guys are like, oh, mate, I do that three, four times a year. But the other half are like, huh? What? Yeah. yeah. And the thing it's about interesting that too, too I, I think you couple that with the recent news of, you know, the, the US and if I remember right, the UK putting out a new plea for be on the lookout for Chinese yeah. cyber espionage yep. on yeah. the rise. And it's like, oh what do you mean on the rise? So here's the thing. How what was it? I can't remember who was who was it? Maybe it was James Clapper or who was the head of the uh, NSA before him? Uh, um, Hayden? Well, I can't. Ten years ago, one of one of the two said, and I'm going to quote this so badly, but he said that the the theft of R and D and industrial intellectual property by the Chinese from the West, and this is the part that really sticks. He said this represents the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. Yeah. The fact that they stole so much IP for so long and the value of that IP and the hours that went into making this and that, they swiped it. And that represents the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. You can't even say those words enough times or you can't even say them. You could say them to yourself for the rest of the day and be like, I wonder how much that is. It's well, I don't know how much it is. It's the greatest transfer of wealth yeah. in human history. And that was 10 years ago. And then here we are today a joint statement by you know some pretty respected you know organizations uh and they're saying hey listen this is a big deal it's been a big deal yeah. it will it will be a big deal and 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 you know people say oh what's the ROI for security how do i quantify that my <laughs> greatest transfer of wealth in human history you can start with that yeah apply it to your organization and you tell me what the ROI is yeah, what made me think about that too, Ryan, was your comment about 
um, you know, this happening from uh, from what we can see from Zuarat in particular, you know, where this is all originating from and or phoning back home to and just the right. general consensus of some of these other nation states saying, don't hack us, hack anybody else you want, and you've got yeah. full cover. So I don't think it's just that the ISPs aren't doing anything about it. It's that right. they have a blanket statement to not necessarily worry about it as long as it's not internally focused. So it's a hard mm -hmm. enough job as it is if they wanted to do something about it, but let alone with the, the general guidance of just don't meddle in our pond and you're fine to go meddle in somebody else's makes it really, really challenging. And when it's a, of a benefit to your point to the, the economies that are allowing that, yeah, um, it's, it's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it is it's formidable. You got to respect it. Yeah. It's impressive in scale and you, you know, it's, you got to give it a second to let it sit in and really respect it. That's, that's what you're up against. So. With, with, I think I was going to throw in there too, is that like, when we think about the current landscape slash climate for work, right. Coming off of COVID to further underscore your point, Ryan, like, a lot of companies are having an uphill battle of bringing workers back into the office. A lot of workers are, if they don't have remote as something within the job rec, they're just not going for the job. Like I've talked to a number of people who are like, oh, is, it, is this job remote? Yeah, no, whatever. All right. If it's not, I'm, I'm not interested. So it's something that people are like actively searching out for roles. So people don't want to go back in the office. We've all seen like Google and Facebook and stuff like that having issues on top of I think it was Denmark. I was reading in the news the other day. They're now pushing to make that like a worker's right to have like remote work for roles or something like that. So if, if that's the case, that even triple, like we're running out of like ink in our pen. We've underlined about <laughs> rat so much because that's an attack surface that's just not going to go away. Right. Yeah. And if it's blended there and it's, it's residing. And again, to your point, like if I'm looking for individuals, social media, everyone tells everybody everything for the most part online. Right. We, we live in a, in a world where when I was younger and I'm sure maybe some of you all like, you know, the, the cool thing to do was not to be a sellout, right? You don't put yeah. your hand out there. You're like, oh no, we're going to be underground forever. Now it's like the yeah. opposite. It's like, hey man, yeah. let me get on TikTok. Let me do this crazy dance or wear the silly hat and get more likes because I want them. I need right? likes. I need those likes. Yeah. So like all that information and like, I know you all have seen it, pictures of badges, People put pictures of their keys, all sorts of stuff that's just like, like red team, like, all right, cool. Well, we now we know what we need to make our laminate look like or cool. Where does he work again? Oh, oh, yeah. He's, he's perimeter, like physical perimeter security for one of the facilities that's out in the middle of like, you know, Ohio, Akron, Ohio or something. Perfect. Maybe this is the key we need. Take the image. All right. All right. Now we got access. Let's just put a little drop box and... Get the heck out. Go get a Slurpee. <laughs> yeah, it gets really interesting, right? So we, we, we started off the episode today talking about, you know, Folina um, yep. really, you know, now being seen exploited in the wild, having been known about for a while before that, but actively being used to gain access into environments. Yeah. And the ubiquity of that particular vulnerability, not just including Word or the office suite, but things that are included across operating systems all over the globe. You dovetail that with, you know, a, an initial access broker who has really, really great motivations to get in using something like Folina. Throw into the mix a little bit about Zuo Rat targeting similarly initial access into Soho devices, home office routers, where we're all seemingly distributed working from. 
and it, it all gets really, really interesting. It's probably the wrong way to characterize it, but you take a group like, again, an initial access broker, and now that they've got, if they've done a good job running their business, and let's be real, that's what they're doing, they've got all these devices waiting to go. And circling back, a last point I'll make here on that, Ryan, to the one of the things that really stood out to me with the Zuorat research was the level of targeting. Like there are seemingly countless small office, home office devices running around, but from what the Black Lotus team has been able to see, the amount of targeting that's gone into whom they are trying to get into, whose networks, is pretty astounding. I know you talked about the OSINT and the, you know, the the initial recon and the build out of who those targets are and how you get in. But it's one thing to have that vulnerability, but to see how much they're targeting and the amount of research they're doing to get into points of interest is was really telling to me. And then you pivot that down to a you know, a B tier threat group that really doesn't care where they get. They're just trying to get everywhere they possibly can of some benefit for a later date. And these vulnerabilities as part of a larger campaign and what a threat actor could be doing in your network start to get really, really interesting. Yeah, it does. It, it, it gets, the word is scary, but you can say interesting. (laughs) It's not, it's, but it is interesting. It's, it's, it's the evolution of, of the craft into, you know, it's like, it's like the first time you play Go, you know, and, and, you, and you're thinking these are the rules and then somebody comes along and they've just thought about it that much more. And then there's more surface and there's more problems. And, and you know, you're, you're right, Matt. Nobody wants to go back to the office. Some people, I, I mean, it would be cool if, if the office was nearby, but traffic, you yeah. know, other people, I'm not, nobody wants to go back to that. Uh, that's going to be a tough sell in the future, but it's going to require that you you might have to have. You might have to have hardware that comes from the office. That's what your router is. Somebody's. It's going to have to be a solution that involves, you know, regular patching, hardware, software. I mean, you know, you, you take classes for a lot of the important parts of business, like, you know, you, you're taking your classes for workplace interaction with people to make sure that you understand what's permissible and what's not as far as, you know, the, the way we treat each other, right? Well, cool. I think that there's going to be classes on how we treat the equipment that all the workers are going to get. They already get, oh, here's how you don't get fished, but it's going to be, all right, well, here's your router. Since you're working from home, it comes in the mail with your computer. You set it up according to these, you know, the IT guy has another hour's worth of work on you to make sure that's set up. And maybe the, maybe the work from home crowd has the business router that comes from the organization, things like that. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be solutions for this that are going to be expensive, that are going to involve logistics, not just the individual being trusted to go, you know, through his own logs and make sure everything's cool and then do his own patching. That's what work from home is going to look like. It's going to look like that extra step. And everybody's going to want to take it too, because I like working from home. I'll be, you put all the steps in front of me and I'll just do them because I like where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that, that's the reality is that surface area comes all the way to the house. That thing, we used to call that last mile hacking, right? You know, that was the big concern was last mile. This is last mile. Zurat's been around technically for like two years. I mean, really, if they look really, if they look far enough back to where the indicators are, some of that's almost like a year and a half. It's two years old. Yeah. The evidence is that they have been working this for a while. I do know yeah. one thing is that um, maybe a couple of things that I know. I know CTIG will continue to cover 
these things yeah. as they develop. Um, Zuo yeah. Rat will be another interesting one that we continue to cover as it goes forward. I know internally yeah. we'll be watching on the content side things like Felina and continue to produce content aligned to what threat actors are doing and how they're moving and could be moving around in your environment and doing everything that we can here at Cyberia to help um, you know, do our part uh, to help make Yeah, that's right. In fact, better. Black Lotus just pushed another couple of IOCs onto their uh, on their GitHub, which you know, they're going to continue to update. We're going to continue to track. Matt's going to continue to make new modulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, definitely for the audience, not, not a, I, I never want to live in the world of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's never the point of the podcast no. here today. Um, right. but we have to look at the reality and we have to stare it in the face too. So we've, we've got a number of solutions about these things. If you want to know more about Zua Rat, definitely check out the blog, go check out Black Lotus, dive into some of that material. If you want to get hands-on with Felina, we give you an opportunity to do that as well. We'll be covering more and more of this type of content as we go. We cover threat actors and the way that they're moving through your environment also. So, uh, yep, unabashedly a little bit of a plug here at the end, but it's a lot less of a plug for Cyberry and a lot more of a way, in my opinion, like how do you respond to these things? So if any of these things concerns you and you don't know what to do about that, there are solutions to those things. And I encourage the audience to to reach out and find those solutions. If it's Cyberry, amazing. If it's the the research of Black Lotus directly, that's great too. We just all got to do our part to help make things better um, because it's a little bit of a scary world out there, right? I think back to Zelda, it's it's what, what's the... It's dangerous, it's dangerous to take this, I think, to, to paraphrase a little bit. So um, Take this. <laughs> take this. So thank you so much, Matt and Ryan, for joining us today. I appreciate the conversation. I'm very much looking forward. You know, Matt's becoming a fixture on the on the podcast, which is great. Um, I'm sure everybody's much happier to see him than me. And, you know, I'm hoping, Ryan, that you'll be around and we'll get Dave on the show as well uh, to have some more technical conversations and the deep dive. And we got a lot of fun things coming for the show pretty soon. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.